Namaste. So, it's an age of uh, controversies and the controversies are because there is a battle of ideas taking place at various levels. For instance, religion on the one hand is trying to expand beyond its limits. On the other hand, there are forces which doesn't want it to happen. Why? Because when it goes beyond its limits, confines, it enters into the realm of spiritual. And spirituality is about freedom, whereas religion, when it is used to control mankind, is all about rules and regulations. So we see that all religions are going through this process. And whether they will succeed or not is a different matter altogether. But let us focus on Sanatan Dharma. Sanatan Dharma also we see is going through this. But in Sanatan Dharma, because by its very beginning it is very vast. But time to time we see that a narrower version of Sanatan Dharma does come into existence. One such was recently, some Swamiji, who suddenly made a remark, not a very generous remark about Swami Vivekananda. And incidentally, his master had made a very ungenerous remark about Swami Vivekananda as well as Sri Aurobindo. So he was actually towing the same line. And the remark was on something like about vegetarianism. So if a, a spiritual man should be a vegetarian, if he is not a vegetarian, he is not spiritual. So, well, this is, of course, if we go into Sanatana Dharma, it is contradicted. Many of the rishis were uh, Kshatriyas and Kshatriyas uh, from um, Vishwamitra. Vasish, though not a Kshatriya, yet it's documented Agastha Rishi. Even the story of Vatapi, if you look at it, ultimately he was served meat, though it was a different kind of meat and all the story, but well, they did eat meat. Uh, there is a whole description in Valmiki Ramayana of <laughs> when Lord Rama's kitchen, so meat was there, of course, and it was regarded as a prashad. The Shakt cult does uh, take meat. So, uh, meat eating or not meat eating should not be made the pivotal point. Now, this does not mean that one, one should eat meat uh, and say that, well, just because I am eating meat, therefore I am spiritual. It, this is not what it means. <laughs> so, but one should not draw the other conclusion. I remember once one spiritual path people and uh, they were trying to hook me, you know, different time people want to hook you, they, this idea of drawing into fold. And they were saying, you don't, uh, you are a vegetarian, you don't smoke and you don't drink, therefore you are already half saint. I said, please, I don't want that kind of saintliness, but a genuine saintliness. So in India, spiritual life is about God realization. That is the point. Not even social um, behavior. You know, when Sri was asked by Dilip Kumar Roy that there are some people who behave in this way and uh, those who come from outside, they draw their own conclusion. So Sri says, yes, I agree, people should behave well. They should have a basic, he used the word social consciousness. They should have, Sri writes, small c, small c. But people must also understand in the ashram, they are not here for realizing S, small s, small c. That is social consciousness, but for capital S, capital C, which is spiritual consciousness. So the merit of a spiritual person is his spiritual realization. Not even his erudition, not even the number of shastras he has studied. None of these things matter. But whether his influence he can cast a spiritual influence, a genuine spiritual influence, and in his own life, he is in contact with the divine reality in whatever way and form. 
So vegetarianism, yes, it's a good thing. Now world over, even scientifically we believe it. And in most of these things, vegetarianism happens rather than you make an effort to leave it. It must happen from within outward. Sri Ramakrishna gave a very interesting example. He says, you don't have to leave these things. These things leave you as you grow spiritually. And it is so true. So at one point, these things drop off. Sri said the same thing, that as the consciousness grows subtle, these things are dropped. But if you take the reverse order, by certain external things like leaving meat, leaving this, wearing, for instance, a you know, colored robe, putting a tripund, wearing a mala, I become spiritual, then that is nothing but fooling people. And while... It's not good to fool people, but it's dangerous to fool the divine because we cannot fool the divine. So this idea, we must understand that Hinduism itself, the moment we try to define it into a very narrow mold, we are actually doing injustice to it. So people who even say Hinduism is a way of life, they are very indirectly doing an injustice. Why? Because way of life, by that they mean... That you know, there are certain rituals, certain prescriptions, certain prescriptions. Those who follow it are Hindus. Actually, they are not doing a great service. They are trying to limit Hinduism to a very narrow mold. But Hinduism is about God-seeking, God-realization. The entire civilization is built around that. And who better than Sri to explain this in totality to us? I'll just read a passage from his early cultural writings, volume 1. There are two Hinduisms. One which takes its stand on the kitchen. Swami Vivekananda said the same thing. <laughs> Naturally it is not liked by certain... Uh, you know, there is a cult which has... Uh, you know, which has took one side of Krishna. Which is the uh, Krishna of Vrindavan. That too very imperfectly. And they have missed out or somehow they have completely ignored or closed their eyes to Krishna of Kurukshetra. But Krishna is a totality. So there are two Hinduisms, one which takes its stand on the kitchen and seeks its paradise by cleaning the body. Another which seeks God, not through the cooking pot and the social convention, but in the soul. This would answer many questions. Recently somebody asked me a question that, you know, it is said that this mantra should be done in this way after this particular bath. This particular person should give you the mantra. You must be wearing a janeo or duatika. I don't know how many conditions. Well, mantra, when we do it, when it arises within, and it's a spontaneous cry of the soul, when one is seeking the divine reality that the mantra represents, then what does it matter whether we have taken a bath or not taken a bath? Again, we go back to the examples. Swami Vivekananda, he said, you can, uh, every day you must give bath to the body and bath to the soul. If you don't have time for both, give bath to the soul. Many people may not know, Shurabindo, and who can doubt his yogi of yogis, I would say, teacher. Many times his bath would be delayed. His breakfast also would be delayed. Till one o'clock afternoon, two o'clock afternoon. So you must understand that these things have their place but a very, very limited and small place. They are not the core and kernel of Sanatan Dharma. So here, Sri reminds, the latter is also Hinduism, that is, which seeks in the soul. The latter is also Hinduism, and it is a good deal older and more enduring than the other. 
It is the Hinduism of Bhishma and Shri Krishna. And it's strange that a follower of Shri Krishna should believe that, you know, if I eat meat, I am going to spoil, whereas Shri Krishna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. <laughs> it is his vision on Visharupa. It is frightening. Even the Yodha are being taken in. Somebody would say, well, it's all symbol and figurative. No, it's a vision of God. And, you know, on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, what does he say when he is asked, Who are you? Arjun says, Who are you? I don't... This is not the person I know. Then he says, I am time the destroyer. Kalos me. What are you here to do? Loka Kshayakrit Pravartu. I am feeling impelled to destroy this section of humanity which has become arrogant, egoistic and needs to pass. This is the strong response of the leader of mankind. He is not saying there, then, no, no, Arjuna, don't do this. This is a great sin. I prescribe you not even to eat meat and how can you even stand and do carnage that to your own loved one no 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 Arjuna you go back and just go to Vrindavan and do some Ras Leela that is Ras <laughs> that is Ras Leela which he does with Radha and this is another Ras Leela another mode which is doing with Kali so this is also Sri Krishna and it is historical and when a follower of Sri Krishna says that, you know, uh, that is what Sri Krishna is, okay, nothing against vegetarianism. It's a good thing again. But to identify that with the worth of a spiritual man, well, to, uh, to close that part, Hitler was vegetarian as far as I know. He was a, quite a spiritual man by that standard. So he says... What is that Hinduism? More enduring. It is the Hinduism of Bhishma and Sri Krishna. Imagine what Bhishma is. He is, whether he will die or not is in his hands. Even with all the arrows through his body, he can stave off death. Is it an ordinary thing? Let the yogis of today reach even that stage of Ikshamritu. Then let them speak about all this vegetarianism. Of Shankara and Chaitanya, the Hinduism which exceeds Hindustan. See why he is mentioning Hindustan? Because all this narrow Hinduism came after the invasion. Because he, he will give us the reason for this. So let us read in the original. Was from of old and will be forever. Why? Because it is based on those bedrocks of eternal truths which can be verified, have been verified till date. And on which you can build a whole superstructure of newer civilizations. That is the Hinduism. So Hinduism is not just a set of dogma, rites, rituals, person dependent or a book dependent as we have already discussed. Vital step forever because it grows eternally through the aeons. It grows. Dharma Shetri, Kuru Shetri, Samaveta, Yuyutsava. And Shubhidu translates it, the field of evolving dharma. And what is the basis of that dharma? How does dharma grow? Through karma. So here comes that. Its watchword is not kriya, but karma. You may do certain kriyas. You may not do certain kriyas. But your karma will matter. And what is that karma? It is divya yukta karma. Krishna yukta karma. The karma which is done in union, in intoxication of God love, at the will of God. That is the karma. 
not shastra but gyanam it not based on do's and don'ts in a particular book but gyan whatever we do do it consciously with knowledge with wisdom not based on no oh, no no my book says so therefore but it's based on gyanam not achar but bhakti look at this so beautifully not kriya but karma not shastra but gyanam not achar but bhakti yet it accepts kriya shastra and achar it accepts it doesn't discard it not as ends to be followed for their own sake but it means to perfect karma gyanam and bhakti the goal is that don't let this become the goal it is a road not the end in itself kriya in the dictionary means every practice which helps the gaining of higher knowledge now this every practice it's not one particular kriya such as the mastering of the breath the repetition of the mantra the habitual use of the name the daily meditation on the idea by shastra it means the knowledge you can do any of them meditation on the idea japa anything which can swadhyaya satsang all that leads us to god knowledge is kriya so kriya again is not to be limited into a small sect by shastra it means the knowledge which regulates karma which fixes the kartavyam and the akartavyam that which should be done and that which should not and it recognizes two sources of that knowledge so how to get the knowledge of what is to be done the eternal wisdom as distinct from the temporary injunctions see many of the religions have forgotten they may, certain things were okay good in in its own time when people are barbarians all around it's okay to ask a woman to cover from head to toe because you are not sure whether your own brother may do something but when human beings grow they become more conscious they lead a more ethical life you don't need to do it that's how world has moved forward what is valid at one age there was an age when there was no law outer law it it was different and people carried a sword and if there was a fight they took and <laughs> they did slay one or lost it was acceptable you can't do it today because humanity has advanced further so this is how one has to understand so there are two sources of knowledge in our ancient books and the book that is written by god in the human heart it is this book that opens new pages so today if somebody says no the woman should be from head to toe in a black cloth or whatever white cloth or any cloth your human heart will say come on you are being very unfair your human human heart will say that this is really crass it is being unjust human heart will say you don't need to read a book so this eternal wisdom opens new leaves and human beings advance and that's why we see many of the old things traditions in, in hinduism it is inbuilt therefore we accept and we grow forward for instance child marriage was acceptable at a point of time it had its own logic but today the human heart has advanced today if you do child marriage one will say no this not fair this something both biologically we know even psychologically we feel uh, how can somebody and that's how we try to judge the past characters it may have had its validity or whatever it was its reasons or what god knows what but if we continue to practice it today because it was written in a book then we are doing gross injustice 
isn't it it's so evident so the eternal and apaurushe veda not veda which is learned with great difficulty by mastering the vernacular and reading from the book apaurushe without effort it it shines from within that's how ethics advances in our ancient books and the book that is written by god in the human heart the eternal apaurushe veda by achar it understands all moral discipline by which the heart is purified and made a fit vessel for divine love so even in human love when we do it with tyag tapasya sacrifice it prepares the heart for the divine love but if we deal with human love as if human beings were just objects for pleasure i have it today and tomorrow i won't i will go i will enjoy my life with somebody else as a pleasure object then my heart is becoming more and more crude gross vulgar ugly when we look at a woman for a pleasure object or a man as a atm machine either we should, <laughs> i mean our heart is not purified whereas when we look at a woman as devi as the tantra says when we look at as a man as somebody who must be able to identify with with the god deva then you know as a giver of wisdom then life becomes beautiful so human life should be a preparation for that it should purify there are certain kriyas certain rules of shastra certain details of achar which are for all time and of perpetual application there are certain things like for instance when we up uh, when we greet each other and in some way or the other we are full of goodwill we may express it as namaste we may express it as good morning bonjour we smile this is achar but it's valid for all times imagine when people lose this simple joy of smiling at each other of course we should not smile too much because too, too much may be red in the smile and create complication but this minimum we don't for instance achar we don't become abusive of people we understand that we should respect each other these achar will always stand don't disrespect not only people say you should, you should respect uh, the woman why woman every creature even a animal a plant this basic thing it's an achar which will stand valid for all times don't mistreat anyone pray for everybody these are basic achar so they are of universal value which are for all time and of perpetual application there are others which are temporary changing with the variation of desh kal and patra time place and the needs of humanity so we see in india there was gungat at one point of time which section rajasthan mostly why because it was invaded all the time you know there was war going on but nobody practices now gungat except in some archaic places johar again they were all temporary because of a certain historical context but if we try to do that today then even fortunately we i am so happy and proud to belong to sanatan dharma where people will laugh at you if you do that <laughs> because we believe in evolving and that this veda has opened so we understand ki okay uh, you you don't do it there are people who still try to do it that's a different thing altogether but the mainstream hindu thought rejects it look at the beauty of it nobody has to give it a scriptural injunction that from today burqa is no more why because a hadith has been written by someone we understand the marching march of mankind okay we don't put a woman in burqa we are happy about it we don't need a women liberation movement because it's inbuilt within us we don't swing to the other side of women liberation 
we understand that liberation is not only of women but of man, of humanity from ignorance. We understand liberation primarily means that. And clothes, dress, they are things which change and evolve. But the fundamental thing is, real sense of liberation is liberation from ignorance. So we understand that. Among the temporary laws, the cooking pot and the lustration had their place. And it had its own place. I know my mother coming from a typical Brahmin family. I, we had Muslim friends. So, you know, when my father had, so when she would go there, so, you know, when they would uh, ask for tea, every time my mummy would have Ekadasi Vrat and he didn't know that there is no Ekadasi. <laughs> and once I got a bit, Mama, why are you telling a lie? No, no, I don't want to take uh, tea there. Why? Oh, they are dirty people. She had this idea. She is not about a religion. She said, dirty people. Why they are dirty people? Oh, they kill goat, they have blood and all this and they are cooking in the same vessel they will make, where they will make meat and <laughs> so. <laughs> I said, I get your point, but you can say no. I mean, I was more modern generation. I said, no, no, you don't understand. There are some social nuances. So everybody knew. He also knew that she won't take. My father would take because he loved tea. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it was very interesting to see my father who would otherwise keep Ekadasi Vrat but would take tea. And my mother for no Ekadasi, she was having Ekadasi every time, you know, someone. And even in the train, she would carry those, you know, in the first class compartment, cooking utensil and cook the meals inside. Well, perhaps that time, I don't know whether it was hygienic or hygienic. It was quite a messy affair but we also enjoy that we are getting homemade food. Okay, so... This was temporary. You can't do it now. You can't take cooking utensil. Uh, my grandmother, she would actually go out when the train would stop. And she would go out, take a bath with the tap water outside. <laughs> then only she was comfortable. So if the train is stopping at 10 o'clock at some station where it would stop for half an hour, she is very uncomfortable because she has to take a bath. But today we don't do that. I mean, I took a transcontinental flight from US. 24 hours plus almost 48 hours, no bath. But such a beautiful Namjap was going on, honestly. And this was coming to me. Look at those times when if you didn't take a bath. In, in, the, in train you can still take a bath, but you can't do it in a flight. It's impossible by any stretch of imagination. In train it's still possible, you know, you go to the bathroom and quietly take a bath. Though they would not even take a bath there. But such a beautiful Nam Japa, it is what purifies you. So this is how we have these two kinds of Hinduism. Okay. It was in a time of calamity, of contraction, under external pressure that Hinduism fled from the inner temple and hid itself in the kitchen. So now we understand why Shrivindra is saying Hinduism of Hindustan and Hinduism which is much older than Hindustan. Hindustan is after Islam. He is very generous as always. <laughs> so he is saying so beautifully that that Hinduism is in a time of contraction. So we created our own distinctions. Okay, you people eat meat. Okay, we don't eat meat. Wonderful. You people... Don't take, of course, cow was always sacred to us. And they also created. We won't eat this particular one. So it was like opposing each other. If you look at the rules, even the way of washing hands, everything is just opposite to mirror image. 
So it was a time when people were in a state of naturally, you know, when uh, Islam came, it did not, uh, you know, how Urdu was born, that's a separate chapter. The, the top clerks had to be, the top officers had to be from Iran or Turkey. They were not native people. They had to, if you wanted to sit on the post, even later on when Akbar introduced that, okay, Hindus and local Muslims converted can be taken, they had to still learn Persian. So they had to go to Madarsa because that is the only place where Persian was taught. So you may imagine imposition of a language and, you know, alien rule. All this was happening. So that time, okay, at least our kitchen is clean. There we are having vegetarian food. It was a place of solace. And God was shut in a small little cupboard in the house. But that's not the Hinduism. Hinduism is much vaster. It is based on eternal truths of existence, verifiable truths of existence, truths on which more and more superstructures can be built, like the Gita following the Vedas, Upanishads and the Gita, and many scriptures, Tantras, Puranas, all these are accepted as part of Hinduism. They are superstructures built subsequently. And of course we know the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Vivekananda, Sri Aurobindo, and many more to come. So that is Hinduism which is finds God within. Find the temple here and all that helps us to discover, make this inner discovery. It accepts. And it ex- accepts all other paths that lead to this discovery. So Shivinda says there is a narrow and sectarian Hinduism which is very arrogant. Which says my guru is the only guru. And it is very evangelistic in its fervor of converting everybody to its own gospel. It's a very narrow Hinduism. It's it may appeal right now, but it's not going to be take the center stage ultimately. And there's a wider Hinduism where we see Bhishma on the battlefield following his dharma and Arjuna on the battlefield following his dharma and Shri Krishna on the battlefield revealing the great profound truths, mysteries of existence on the battlefield where life and death are flung arms in arms with each other. And that Hinduism will not only survive will show the way to mankind. It has shown the way in the past, it is showing the way in the present and will continue to show the way toward the future. Namaste.